Remember, as you're enjoying this fabulous podcast of the radio show, you can also get the Armstrong and Getty One More Thing podcast and Armstrong and Getty Extra Large, our long-form interviews, available via the iTunes podcast app and the iHeart app. President Trump told the crowd at a fundraiser at the Trump Hotel here that he was trying to get Howard Schultz into the race with his earlier tweet because the president thinks it will help him. That's according to the New York Times. Trump is so smooth, man. Huh? Tries reverse psychology on Howard Schultz and then tells everyone he's doing reverse psychology. Yeah. I'm going to tell him he shouldn't run, folks, but it's only a trick to get him in the race. It's like psychology. But in reverse. I'm thinking of calling it upside down magic talk. You know, I hadn't thought of that until you brought it up yesterday. I think that's clearly what he was doing because I thought, why are you elevating this guy? Well, you're elevating this guy because he would help you get elected. And it's funny that he would then state that that was the strategy. I agree. Yeah, I'm not okay. sure what uh, that is. That's yeah. the sixth dimensional chess. <laughs> I really, I can't hang anymore. Matt Bevin, Republican governor of Kentucky, thinks you're soft. He's mad that they're closing schools in Kentucky with the whole, the whole Arctic vortex thing that's made it. To, I got friends uh, from the Midwest, upper Midwest, sending me a screen capture so their weather forecasts today. Uh, God help us all. I was surprised. Stay inside. I was surprised to hear schools closing in some of these areas where really cold weather is not uncommon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember standing outside for the school bus in southwest Wisconsin. It was 75 below with the wind chill. They didn't cancel school. Wow. You were the greatest generation. Well, it, just, it, just, it was cold outside. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't, maybe it's enlightenment. Maybe it's fear of lawsuit. Uh, I don't know, but they're canceling school all over the place. Uh, I will tell you this. Um, I, I actually had a chat with a friend of mine who lives in a particularly chilly place in the upper Midwest. Um, who was, uh, I was kidding him about how cold it was. And he was indoors playing in his golf simulation league and drinking beer. And I thought, that's, that's just, that's what I love so much about the Midwest. What I loved about growing up there, you could die if you go outside. So all your friends and you get together and your honeys or whatever, and you have a good time inside and you hoot and you holler and you're together. It's oh, nice. Nothing better than a bunch of people being in a bar when it's freezing cold outside. Right. And every time somebody opens the door, <laughs> Floridians have no idea. Southern Californians can't relate. Anyway, Matt Bevan thinks you're a wimp. Go to school, kids. <laughs> hey, listen, on a more serious note, and I, we just got to tell you, I mean, I hate to even bring it up, but the, the horrific shooting in Las Vegas at the country concert, right? We remember that a couple of years ago. And that the weird, weird son of a gun who did it. We don't use, we don't throw the names around here. We don't make heroes of stupid, angry cowards who hurt innocent people because they have a gripe. Everybody's got a gripe, you stupid cowards. That doesn't mean you get to hurt people. But anyway, this particular stupid, angry coward who killed fifty-eight people. God, it was always was it that many. Yeah, I know. That's I know. incredible. And how many more were terribly injured or or psychologically injured and the rest of it? Just because, well, that's the problem. The FBI has said now, we have no idea what he's doing. We have no idea what motivated him. He doesn't have a list of gripes. We can't figure out from interviewing the people who knew him what he was about. 
We just don't know. That's amazing. It is amazing. And he seemed to have some sort of escape plan, remember? Right, right. And, and it, what was he going to do? He, did he just, did his brain just break? I don't know. It's hard to say. I have a theory, which I'll get to in a second, but he was the anti-Unabomber who who scrawled 10,000 words or, or 10,000 pages or whatever it was. I, I remember it was astoundingly long. Of his theories and his gripes and his anger and what he thought was wrong and why he did it and the rest of it. And, you know, everybody's got, uh, you know, even if it's just a moronic couple of Facebook posts, everybody. No, this guy went to a lot of trouble to keep all of his thoughts private. My thought is he's he was uh, uh, a, a narcissist, an egomaniac and probably associate. Well, almost certainly a sociopath who had no compassion for other human beings. And he heard about the mass murders, and he thought, "I can do better." Yeah, I could, I could way outdo that. Yeah, yeah. I'll and, go down in history as a name, and I don't know his name, right? And I, I decided a couple of years ago to stop memorizing these names, right? And I actually couldn't tell you his name for a hundred dollars. Yeah, well, and good. I don't want to know Fine. his name. Yeah, but uh, eight hundred and sixty-nine people were injured, Jack. Eight hundred and sixty-nine. Uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, he was such a sociopath or a psychopath that. He had no compassion for other human beings, and he didn't have any particular uh, interest in, you know, being alive, or at least enough to really risk it. He did have an escape plan, but, you know, when things went south, he just went ahead and blew his own head off. Right. And nobody has any idea why. So, Michael, uh, do you mind? Do you have more to say on that? Uh, nothing that probably needs to be said. It's so dark. Yeah, we exactly. need transition music. I'm, I'm sorry I brought it up. I just thought y'all pr- would probably want to know the result of the FBI. <laughs> Whenever we have to make a jarring transition on the show, we employ transition music. Jack's doing the robot Tommy walk. I love it when you do that. My kids do the whole routine. Yeah, that's right. Um, so, yeah, and that erases your mind. I don't even remember what we were talking about before. Nope. So... Oftentimes, you got a bunch of Republicans or Democrats running for president, and the differences between them are slight policy paper things that, like, most people don't even understand and don't matter anyway because sure. they won't be able to do them in office anyway. So you believe in <laughs> 8% this, and you believe in 6% that. Whatever. It's I mean, a outrage. Yeah. So uh, then it comes down to personality. On the other hand, you got Kamala Harris, who's now solidly in third place in, in polls in America, saying eliminate private health insurance. You got two other big names running as independents, probably Howard Schultz or and, have. and yeah. uh, Michael Bloomberg, billionaires, saying that's a terrible idea. Mm-hmm. Would bankrupt the country, and it's completely un-American. So, man, that's not a minor policy difference, right? So, where's America on this? Hard to say based on this poll. It's a Kaiser poll. Do they have a reason to shade a poll? Maybe, or maybe they maybe they have a good reason to absolutely not shade a poll. Try they want to know it like the Kaiser. They want to know what people think. Um, but uh, I don't know. They do a lot of studies of healthcare in America. Well, of course. Uh, I, you know, I would think they would want to know what's actually happening, though. Right. For their own business yeah, models. Diluting themselves wouldn't help them. A recent Kaiser Family Foundation poll found that. Fifty-six percent of Americans favor Medicare for all. There you go. That settles it. Which is what Kamala Harris is running on. Fifty-eight percent of Americans are against eliminating private health insurance. Well then, <laughs> so what do you do with that? Well, you know, if I were to interpret that, and it goes back to our previous discussion of the fact that Obamacare cost five and a half times more per person 
than just buying insurance for them would have. How do you like that, Mr. and Mrs. America? Even if you loved Barack Obama and you think health care is a right, how the hell can you justify that? Anyway, um, I think most Americans would say, look, the vast majority of us are fine. 90% of us have health insurance one way or another. The 10% who need it have some sort of cheap government program available for them. Might not be great, but it'll be available. The, the problem comes with Kamala Harris saying we need to eliminate all private insurance. Why in God's name would you do that? Uh, you want the government in charge of everything because you're a, you're a socialist. You're a communist. I don't know. I don't know. Or, or, again, because you think it plays, politically speaking. She might be smart enough to know it's an insane idea and a stupid idea. But she doesn't care. She just wants the power. And I couldn't do it even if I wanted to because there are, I mean, that you talk about an entrenched uh, lobbying interest. Mm-hmm. Health insurance companies are not going to go quietly. Right. Well, and as many people have pointed out, there are uh, uh, half a million people at least who work for health insurance companies in America right now. And uh, by the way, they're making good wages and getting health insurance. So they're not real <laughs> enamored with the idea either. But we do live in a country where nearly 60% of people, uh, not that I, oh yeah, nearly 60% of people um, want universal health care. That's where we are now. Yeah, yeah. Well, more importantly, you know, this, uh, I don't know, maybe this will just make you as cynical as I am. We live in a, a country, in a world right now, where for whatever reasons of the, you know, the, the 21st century culture and zeitgeist, if you go to your dinner table and say, I believe vacations to Hawaii should be a right for all and not just for the privileged few, and your kids and your wife all cheer, your husband cheers, yes, 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 we deserve it. Nobody has a minute to say, well, wait a minute, how's that going to work? The question, wait a minute, how's that going to work, is is vanished from American politics. Nobody wants to hear it. I had a specific thing I needed to get done medically uh, recently. They said our next appointment is in August. Is that that calf implants you've been wanting? Yes, I want really rocking calves. Right, like you run marathons without all the troublesome running. To match the forearm implants that you got last year. <laughs> right, he looks like Popeye, folks. It's amazing. Well, it's, so, it's, so it's something i got to get done, and it's one of those things that waiting doesn't do you any good. Yeah. Um, and and, and August, they said. So uh, they said, if you're willing to drive 40 miles, we can get you in next week. And I said, well, of course, I'll drive 40 miles. So, um, but anyway, do you think that gets better or worse with universal health care? Are there people that actually think it would get better with universal health care? That's what Kamala Harris was claiming specifically yesterday. She said, we've all dealt with the paperwork and finding out whether it's insured and everything with our private insurance. It's time to say enough of that. Because dealing with the government is effortless. What is your life experience with the IRS or the DMV or anything else that would lead you to believe that that's going to be better when the government runs everything? Right, right. Wow, that's amazing. Various inspectors. Yeah, I don't, again, I don't know what to do about it. But Americans are, are, are like little kids waiting for Santa Claus to come down the chimney politically these days. I, just, I don't know what to do about it. Our text line is 415-295-KFTC. A better investment than gold or silver? Have that for you, among other things. Coming up on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the, of the nation. The Armstrong and Getty Show. 
So this is Ariana Grande. You might know her music. You might know her name, but not her music. You might not know either. You might know her size of coffee. She's one of the biggest uh, pop stars in the world. She was dating Pete Davidson, dumped him. He threatened to kill himself, etc., etc. Anyway, she's got a lot of tattoos. She got a new one. It's uh, She's got a song or album out called Seven Rings, and she got Japanese or something symbol for seven. Yeah, she had two Japanese characters tattooed on her hand. One of them is seven. The other one, as a standalone, is loosely translated as wheel, but that could be construed as ring. So she was getting a tattoo of her song, Seven Rings. But the way that Japanese language works is that combining two two words together doesn't always just lead in a in this, uh, line the same way English does, and that it actually changes the meaning entirely. So she <laughs> got... Korean barbecue tattooed on her hand. You know? And so she showed her tattoo. I've known some guys who would get Korean barbecue tattooed on them. <laughs> they like it that much. She showed her t- tattoo on social media, and then people who read the language started pointing that out to her. Or I guess barbecue grill is the actual. Close enough. Shit. She then deleted her tweet and admitted an error had been made. And that a character had been omitted from her tattoo. <laughs> but you need to go to a better tattoo person. Listen, life is short, and you really ought to spend your time worthy in a worthwhile, uh, you know, group of activities. On the other hand, if you've never logged any quality time looking at tattoo fails on the internet, mm. I recommend it very highly. Come for the misspellings, stay for the nonsense Chinese characters, and enjoy the. People who wanted their kid tattooed on them, but it's tough to do your human face in a tattoo, and it ends up looking like you got a demon on your arm. <laughs> so, yeah, tattoo wow. fails. Yeah. Oh, I'm Kids' you. names is a pretty safe bet as opposed to spouses. I admire the commitment of having a spouse on there. You know, that's sure. a good sign. Boyfriends and girlfriends, you're getting a little, you're getting a little dangerous territory it, there. I'd say. If it didn't work out, do you still admire the commitment? <laughs> but kids, you're pretty safe with. Sure. The names. Yeah, I but not a portrait. An, art, an artist rendering on skin? Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. They usually end up looking terrifying. Well, and the thing with tattoos is we, we all know they, they look good on people with young skin. And just, just like everything else I've noticed... This is true of all clothing, all accoutrements, all everything you put on your body. Hot, pe- it looks good on hot people. <laughs> it doesn't look as good on not hot people. Shh, you're gonna ruin the catalog industry. That Online dude, and in print. That dude and that chicken tattoos look smoking hot. Both of them. Yeah. Those two, not as much. Not so much. Same as with that sweater or those boots or whatever. Mm. It's just the way life is. It's disappointing. That's what life is. Yeah. I put it on. It doesn't look the same as it did in the catalog. Uh, here's a here's a word to be annoyed by. For the year 2019. <laughs> it's an annoying word of the day. Sharenting. Oh, gosh. That is so annoying. <laughs> <laughs> Makes you want to punch somebody in the face just for it, saying it, doesn't it? It really does. Can, can parents be guilty of sharing too much about their kids online? The phenomenon oh The phenomenon is called sharenting. No, it's not. <laughs> no, it's not. No, it's not. Ah! And now some experts say parents ought to pay closer attention to what they're sharing. Well, that's true. Yeah. We didn't need a name for it, though. Yeah. Didn't we didn't need to be... need a cute name combining two words. No. What do Benefer think of Sherrington? <laughs> They're against it. Oh, that's right. They're on a staycation, so I can't ask them. <laughs> Beautiful. Oh, speaking of celebrities, can you imagine the terror? There you are in Park City, Utah. Big skiing vacation. You're just enjoying the heck out of yourself, and 
You're shushing down the mountain, and all of a sudden there's somebody flying at you out of control. Oh, my head, my head, my head. And imagine how the nightmare becomes even darker when you realize it was Gwyneth Paltrow. <laughs> oh, I saw this. There's a lawsuit, right? Yeah, 72-year-old optometrist claims that Paltrow, purveyor of crap, on the internet, seller of ridiculous overpriced garbage to uh, middle-aged women. Goop, which describes the sponginess of your brain for buying that stuff. Pretty much. She was skiing out of control when she slammed into the optometrist from behind, knocked him down, knocked him out! Paltrow got up, turned, and skied away, leaving the good doctor stunned. Well, no, that isn't cool. This is the first part I was going to say. Well, you know, it can happen. You're skiing down a hill and... He was stunned, semi-conscious, seriously injured. She skied away in what the lawsuit describes as a hit-and-run ski crash. But if you run over, a, especially a child or an old person, right. you got to stop and say, hey, you okay? Right. He says it felt like his brain had taken a giant shot of Novocaine. He was stunned. As a medical man, perhaps he, he did that in his younger years. Um, For experimental purposes, I'm now, sure. Now, did, did it hurt as bad before he realized it was someone with as deep a pockets as Gwyneth Paltrow? That's what I would like. It's just it's God's grace, Jack, in my mind. I don't think I'll ever do anything as on-brand as Gwyneth Paltrow doing a hit-and-run on ski slopes. Yeah, no kidding. He was skiing <laughs> down a beginner's slope when he heard an unearthly scream, hysterical, like you never hear on a ski run. Never heard it in my life, like King Kong came out of the jungle or something. <laughs> And then, Bluey was knocked down by the Willowy mm. movie star and purveyor of fraudulent garbage. <laughs> What's coming? Imagine the nightmare. What's coming up your news, Marshall? Well, Trump may be scoring a win in Venezuela. More U.S. troops are going to the southern border. And just what we have all been waiting for, the robot lawnmower. Got to get to this one. Purveyor of fraudulent garbage. <laughs> That's hilarious. You are listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Trump has responded forcefully. How many times have I said that? To what? <laughs> um, uh, to uh, intelligence heads yesterday and some of their assessments of the world as it is. We should probably get into that at some point. News now with Marsha Phillips. Not letting up. The White House says President Trump talked with Venezuelan opposition leader Juan Guaido today. Press Secretary Sarah Sanders said Trump reinforced strong support for Venezuela's fight to regain its democracy. The U.S. has formally recognized Guaido as the legitimate leader of the South American country. Venezuela in the midst of a struggle, a power struggle between Guaido and President Nicolas Maduro. The U.S. is calling Maduro's recent re-election illegitimate. There are large protests planned across Venezuela today to increase pressure on Maduro to step down. Yeah, Maduro, are you talking about him offering talks? And yes. Gonna, yeah. He did an interview, with, did an interview with uh, Russian media and said, you know, I am more than willing to talk with the opposition. I am more than willing to do it for the sake of the Venezuelan people. So, I'm sure Putin would love to step in and broker that, and it'll be completely fair the right. rest of it. Amid ongoing security efforts at the U.S.-Mexico border, thousands of additional troops are being sent there. The exact I'm number... surprised this isn't getting more attention. Yep. The exact number wasn't revealed, but the Defense Department says that their mission will focus on surveillance. That would include working surveillance cameras and putting up more razor wire. The military has been deployed to the border since October 
This is going to be another 2,000 troops on top of the 1,500 to 2,000 that are already there. So they are on the way. I'm really enjoying the dance right now of even even CNN at this point is calling politicians on. I and I was so pleased. I was so shocked. I was pleased. I guess that been abused so much by CNN, even the slightest kindness. I've got Stockholm Syndrome. But anyway, uh, they had uh, a senator on. What the heck was his name? I can't remember. But they're talking about the uh, the border. And, and the guy says, listen, uh, I'm for border security that works. Not some 30-foot-tall concrete wall. And the CNN person finally, after all these weeks, said, um, nobody's talking about that. Trump doesn't even want that. Nobody's talking about that. Right. How do you feel about fences or slats? Well, I, uh, uh, I, I think we should listen to the experts. Uh, but a wall? Why a wall? It's just so phony. The State of the Union is on. It's going to be next Tuesday. Now, while she may not have won Georgia's gubernatorial race last year, Stacey Abrams is the rising star in the Democratic Party as such. Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer is trying to ruin her career, apparently, sticking her in the thankless and humiliating position of delivering the never-successful response. I don't remember losing candidates being seen as rising stars like this in the past in either party. Stacey Abrams and Beto O'Rourke, who both lost, being seen as some of the brightest lights in the party. I don't remember this happening in the past. They both ran really good campaigns, and they were both, uh, it was uh, fairly amazing, a little more on his part than hers, but that they came as close as they did. But do you remember somebody losing in any of the party that, that was seen as, man, they're the future? I just don't remember that happening. One Rocky Balboa. <laughs> okay. That's what it is. That's what yep. it is. Seriously. They went up against the unbeatable and darn near beat them. Yep. So, yeah, the scene is rising stars. Abrams going to deliver the Democratic response to President Trump's State of the Union address next week. Schumer saying... She is just a great spokesperson. She's an incredible leader. Loser. She has led the charge for voting rights, which is at the root of just about everything else. There you go. Now we've got a new study out saying losing sleep is even worse for you than you thought. How do you know what I thought? In addition to making you tired... Losing sleep will make you tired. Going without sleep pretty much guarantees you will ache all over. That's an interesting one. I ran all day long yesterday on about four and a half hours sleep. And um, I noticed that there, uh, if if you cross a line into being tired... And I was dangerously tired yesterday. I shouldn't have been driving. I was so tired. Oof. But if you, if you, at least for me, if you pass a, a point in being tired, you're no longer like likely to fly off the handle. I think your body goes into a natural shutdown mode. Wow. Evolutionary speaking, knowing that you're not in a good position to make decisions. Wow, some sort of zen-like calm. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Researchers at the University of California, Berkeley, found that sleep deprivation decreases brain activity associated with pain relief. The leader of the study said the optimistic takeaway is that getting better sleep can help manage and reduce pain over time. Now, something we've all wished for a robot lawnmower. Yes. See, soon to be footless. We'll really enjoy that. Seems no, to be an obvious, obvious uh, the thing we need. Seems the logical next step for iRobot, the company behind the Roomba vacuum robot. The uh, Massachusetts company's secret lawnmower project, though, turned out to be a lot harder than anybody expected. But now iRobot finally has something to show after more than a decade of development. 
Its first robot lawnmower is called Terra, and it's being unveiled today. And if today. you've got a perfectly square, flat yard with nothing in it, it works great. And a very, very fast cat. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, company says it was a struggle to build a robot that meets U.S. cultural standards for cutting a perfect lawn. What, what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> but the robot's first going to launch in Germany, where there's already a growing market for robotic stuff. I will tell you this, Jack. I bought one of the recent uh, generation of the Roombas, and they're quite effective. Not they're, my house they're way, way better. Well, yeah, you're, yeah, clutter, they don't want clutter. No. Um, but if you have a big black dog that sheds, they just get clogged up pretty quick. Uh, on the other hand, you get your Roomba kicking around, it might try to suck up something it's not supposed to, and that's, that's too bad. But if it's that mower... Yeah. It might actually run over something with its whirling steel blades. This is a more serious problem. Ah! There you go. An audio uh, uh, depiction of what it might be like by Michael. Thank you, Michael. There you go. That's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips. The Armstrong and Getty Show, the conscience of the nation. Outstanding guest in five minutes. Lonnie Chen, the Hoover Institution. Absolutely fantastic. Talk about third-party candidates running. So Trump's just made an announcement about veterans being able to choose private health care. So you've got yes. candidates saying we all need government health care, and you got the president trying to move people from government health care that is failing into the private sector because it would be better. Right. That's a complicated notion. Lots of stuff on the way on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. The Armstrong and Getty Show. saying she wants to abolish the insurance industry. That's, that's not correct. That's not American. What's next? What, what industry are we going to abolish next? The coffee industry? You egotistical billionaire Setting the table. Sit down. For Lonnie Chen to talk about uh, where Kamala Harris is in the race now, and you got Schultz in, and between him completely... 100% disagreeing with the main policy point of Kamala Harris in her early days, between that and the fact that the New York Times out with an op-ed piece that says, Schultz, please don't run for president. A bid by Starbucks ex-chief would be reckless idiocy. And he's got some problems. Lonnie Chen is the David and Diane Steffi Research Fellow at the Hoover Institution, also Director of Domestic Policy Studies, lecturer in the Public Policy Program at Stanford University. Joins us now. Lonnie, how are you, sir? Hey, good morning, guys. How are you? Good morning. So, listen, left, right, and center. There's a lot of a lot of appeal to the the Howard Schultz story and some of the policies he's pitching. Why is it so hard for an independent to win a presidential race? Well, you know, there are a lot of structural issues in the United States that actually make it tough for independents. Not the least of which is just getting access to the ballot. Just being on the ballot in some of these states is remarkably difficult. Now, what Howard Schultz has that a lot of independent candidates in the past may not have had is a lot of money. And if you're able to essentially spend your way or buy your way onto these ballots, then that ballot access issue is less of a problem. But 
you know, I, I think traditionally what ends up happening is as we get closer to Election Day, people say in their hearts maybe they want an independent candidate, but more often than not, they'll end up picking one of the two major parties because they're used to it. And, uh, and I think Howard Schultz is going to face a similar challenge if he runs as an independent. I wonder if people are so sick of the parties that that's changed. Hey, one final note on that question is, I've heard it said many times that, well, with the electoral college, that really makes it tough for an independent. What do people mean when they say that? Well, you know, because it's a, it's a winner-take-all situation, in other words, if you win a particular state... With the exception of two states, interestingly enough, Maine and Nebraska, they're exceptions. Every other state in the union, if you win a, if you win that state's uh, popular vote, you win all of the electoral votes. It's not like it's a proportional system where, let's say, you won 25% of the votes and you get 25% of the electoral votes. That's not how it works. In most states, except for Maine and Nebraska, which do allocate proportionally, uh, essentially, if you win by one percentage point, you've just won all of those electoral votes. It's how Donald Trump won in 2016 by a narrow margin in Michigan and Wisconsin. He was able to get all those states' electoral votes. So the issue for, for independent candidates is traditionally because they haven't had as much market share as the major parties, they have not been able to do as well because even if they get, let's say, 20 or 25 or 30 percent of the vote in some of these states, they still walk away with no electoral votes and no contribution to a winning margin for the presidency. You've been involved in campaigns at a high level, Mitt Romney and uh, Marco Rubio, to name two. And um, so you know how this whole game works. If, if you're trying to help a Republican get elected, you want Howard Schultz in, don't you? Yeah, I'd have to think so. I mean, I, you know, Howard Schultz, for all of his, his sort of talk about being against Medicare for all and against some of these more progressive policies, his orientation is fundamentally anti-Trump. And, and the, the pool of voters he's going to draw from, you know, the, the Republicans are pretty united behind Trump still. I've seen recent polling that suggests he's about 85 percent support, 80 to 85 percent support. So there's not, there's not a ton of votes to draw from on the Republican side. It's going to be Democrats. He's going to end up fracturing that anti-Trump vote and, and making it harder for a Democrat, I, I think at least, to win the presidency. Now, there's some disagreement about this. You know, Nate Silver who's the, the online blogger and prognosticator, has said, look, it's actually not that simple, that independent candidates are usually drawing off the margins of the two parties and pretty equally between the two. But I tend to think in this situation, because of how strongly people feel about Trump, it's going to be hard for Howard Schultz to run and for it not to be to the detriment of the Democrat who runs against Trump. Well, how big a problem is it for Kamala Harris to have one of her you know, major talking points in the first couple days of her campaign to have a couple of Democrat billionaires come out and say that's a terrible idea. Well, you know, in a, in a primary, it might not be the worst thing for her, because you got to remember that the primary audience she's speaking to in the Democratic Party primary for the presidency is going to skew more progressive. It's going to skew more liberal. And as a result, if she's got people attacking her point of view, attacking her point of view on Medicare for All, who are these billionaires, uh, it might actually work to her advantage. I mean, you guys played the clip of the of the reaction to Schultz that someone called him a, a you know what hole. Uh, that that is that is pretty indicative, I think, of how a lot of primary voters feel about Howard Schultz, and by the way, about Michael Bloomberg as well. Well, in in the demagoguery that is the primaries, if I'm Kamala Harris's campaign manager, one of her thinkers, I tell her, hey, Kamala, go out today and say. Turns out the billionaires are against me. I'm proud that the billionaires are against me. And the crowds go berserk. Yeah. She's fine. 
Um, so listen, so yeah. uh, Lonnie, uh, I am going to, through my imperial powers, put you in charge of the uh, Republican National Committee today. Um, congratulations. Enjoy wow. that job. Um, I'm, not sure, I'm, not, I'm not sure that's the job I want right now, but okay. Yeah. Who, who, are, who are two or three uh, names on the uh, Democrat side that concern you most in terms of the big job, the presidency? Yeah, I mean, there are two. I think I do think Kamala Harris is a concern. I think she's a concern because she checks so many different boxes for, for different constituencies that are anti-Trump. And, and, and by the way, I, I teach a class at Stanford this quarter where we're looking at presidential campaigns, and we took a little straw poll yesterday, and it's unrepresentative. It's a bunch of you know millennials at Stanford. But Kamala Harris was the favorite, and, and I think that demonstrates to a certain degree how that Democratic primary electorate is going to go for her. And the thing about her is she's got kind of an interesting background because she was a prosecutor for a while. Uh, she, you know, has a number of aspects that I think would make her potentially appealing to centrist voters if that's the way she wants to market herself. The other person I'll just say briefly who I think who I think probably worries the Republican Party in the long run is Mike Bloomberg. If it, obviously his big challenge is going to be getting through the primary as a New York billionaire. But were he able to get through his money and his appeal to centrists, and also, look, he's a competent executive. The guy ran New York City pretty well. Uh, he would be a challenge, I would think, for Trump. So those are the those are the two. And a third, sorry, I know you asked for two, but a third that I'm worried about is Joe Biden for the obvious reasons that he's Joe Biden and he's very crafty. Do you know Bloomberg only has two pairs of shoes he's worn for decades? He's got a pair of brown penny loafers and a pair of black, same brand he bought at the same time. And he just alternates them depending on his belt or suit of the day. It's astonishing. He gets them resold. It's an interesting quirk to the man. Yeah. Um, how much of an advantage is it to, 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 I mean, obviously there's advantages to being a billionaire and having all that kind of money, but can, can you, to a certain extent, buy your way through this process? Does it work that way? Because I remember in the Freakonomics book a couple of years ago, they had a chapter in there where they said the rich person often does not gain that much by trying to buy their way into a race. Yeah, and particularly when you're talking about a presidential primary, it's really about capturing hearts rather than capturing right. minds. I think if you were to ask a lot of Democrats, they would say, yeah, you know, I understand the rationale for Mike Bloomberg. I understand why people might think he's a credible candidate. And, and by the way, he did spend a lot of money on Democratic causes during the 2018 election cycle. Remember, he funded the big independent campaign that was the anti-gun campaign. And he's trying to leverage some of that now to give himself credibility with Democratic activists. But I tend to think that all of his money would be more of a factor in a general election than in a primary election. A primary election is really about who's got the heat, who's got the ideas, who's appealing to the base. And that's just not Michael Bloomberg. Hey, do you feel like Nancy Pelosi won last week in the way that the mainstream media is portraying it? Uh, I, I think she won the fight. Whether she won the battle is a separate question. You know, obviously we get, you know, those of us who are junkies who follow this, the tactics of it, she won that particular tactical battle because she got Trump to, to back down, you know, from his immediate set of demands. The issue now, though, is that we have a three-week period beginning, actually, I think, today, where Congress is going to have an intense discussion about immigration policy. And I have a very difficult time believing that Democrats are going to be able to get away from this process without supporting some kind of physical barrier as part of a border security package. So it may still be the case that Donald Trump wins in the long run. But, yeah, we're talking about the individual shutdown battle that we just went through. I do think Nancy Pelosi won that round. Lonnie Chen of the Hoover Institution, Stanford University, is on the line. Lonnie, we've got barely 30 seconds, but um, you two are so obsessed with the presidency. You want a king, apparently. Me, 
I'm all about the legislature. Uh, we heard the last time around that the electoral map was really good for Republicans in the Senate, and sure enough, they held on to the Senate even as they got their butts kicked in the House. How's the uh, electoral map look for the Senate in 2020? Uh, it's a little more treacherous for Republicans, but the fact that they did so well in the Senate in 2018 means that, that they can afford to lose a few more seats in 2020 and still hold a majority. If I had to predict it today, Republicans hold on to a bare majority in the Senate in 2020. So it's a little more even, Stephen, but not great for Republicans. That's right. Okay, That's in right. terms of who's up and which way their their states have gone recent elections, that sort of thing. Lonnie Chen of the Hoover Institution and Stanford University. Lonnie, it's always enlightening. Thanks a bunch for the time. Hey, thanks, guys. Have a good morning. Thanks, you too. Man, I'd like to take that class he's teaching. Oh, but yeah, that's damn interesting. Are you kidding? I'd love that. Yeah, I'd love that. So, I want to go back to school, but I think it'd make me crazy. <laughs> I like his. Still uh, not doing the homework. I like his <laughs> survey of Stanford millennials. Might not be representative of the whole country. <laughs> yeah. You talk about a unique group. Twenty-year-old yeah. Stanford students. I, I uh, wanted to say to him, I didn't, but I wanted to say to him, Lonnie, tomorrow go into class and tell him nobody cares what you think. They're quiet. <laughs> Uh, what he said there about the Nancy Pelosi, that's what I thought last week as I was looking at all the headlines and all the roundtables about Nancy Pelosi owning Trump and winning the battle. What, 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 what's going to happen in three weeks? That's Beltway punditry. The Democrats now own open borders. Unless they capitulate, they compromise, and they throw up some evil, immoral, racist fences. Come on, they're not in a great position, especially if you look at polling on the topic. So, yeah, we'll see. And again, that's the, that's the difference between the way the Beltway looks at the world and politics and the way normal people look at it. I wasn't thinking of pitching uh, Schultz and Bloomberg as billionaires as much as businessmen. The businessmen, the successful businessmen have looked at your plan and say it doesn't work at all, Kamala. It makes no financial sense. Ah, you're boring me. The billionaires are against me. The people are with me. Yay! I want free stuff! You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show.